0: you're listening to the itch a podcast exploring all things allergy asthma and immunology i'm your co-host courtney a real life allergy asthma and eczema girl and i'm your second
1: host dr payal gupta a board certified allergy asthma and immunology doctor courtney and i hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies asthma and immunology
0: Today we are joined by Chelsea Amer as we dive into nutrition during pregnancy. Chelsea is a registered dietitian nutritionist living in New York who has a peanut, tree nut, and sesame allergy. We're excited to talk to Chelsea about her pregnancy journey dive into nutrition and how to manage your allergies while pregnant, as well as talk about myths around what you should and shouldn't eat if you want to prevent your baby from developing food allergies. Chelsea just celebrated her son's first birthday, and if you didn't know, our very own Dr. G is expecting, so these two have a lot to share with us. At the time of this recording, Chelsea's cookbook, the 28-Day Pescatarian Meal Plan, wasn't yet out. But it's now available and we've linked it in our blog in case you want to get your hands on it. We also have some bonus content at the very end of this episode about gestational diabetes and sugar intake during pregnancy. So stick around for that, it's all the way at the end and I bet you won't want to miss out on it. Without further ado, I bring you Chelsea. Welcome, Chelsea. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? How did you get into nutrition? Hi, thank you so much for having me.
2: I am a registered dietitian living in New York City with my family of three. I have a 10-month-old son, and so I was pregnant just a little while ago, although it feels like forever ago now. I've a. I've been anaphylactic to tree nuts and peanuts since I was a about two or three years old. And I also then developed a sesame seed allergy at the age of around five or six. And those are pretty much my only true allergies. I do have some other intolerances, but in terms of an IgE-mediated food allergy, it's tree nuts, peanuts, and sesame seeds. And I got into nutrition when I was actually in medical school for a couple of years. I had gotten very sick with a severe lung disease and took some time off from medical school after I finished my first two years. And in the process of trying to heal my own body, I stumbled upon nutrition and I just took a little bit of time. To understand how I could heal my body and doctors to figure out what was going on with me. And I started shadowing different dietitians in a hospital and private practice, and I really fell in love with the preventative side of nutrition and wellness. And I switched gears and became a registered dietitian several years later.
0: What made you start on the journey of nutrition to heal yourself? What was it that sparked that? Actually, one of my
2: parents' friends had doctors couldn't figure out what was really going on with with me and this rare lung disease that I have. And so my parents' friends said, oh, I watched a documentary. It was called Forks Over Knives, which is very heavy in a plant-based um, vegan diet to heal a lot of diseases. And that sparked my interest in sort of looking if there could be a food-related cure. There wasn't. I like followed a plant-based diet for several years, and it didn't do much for me until doctors could really figure out what was going on with my lungs. And I was just very suspicious susceptible to these really rare infections, which is a bit ironic given that we're recording this in the peak of the coronavirus outbreak here in New York City, but I was just very susceptible to these rare lung infections and nutrition plays an important role in that in keeping my lungs healthy and having a well-balanced diet, eating enough protein, but it wasn't the underlying issue. So it was just one part of the exploration and trying to figure out what was going on with my health. Did they ultimately figure out what it was or do you have a diagnosis? So I have a diagnosis. I have what is known as non-CF, non-cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, which you probably are familiar with, but a lot of rare non-TB, non-tuberculosis, mycobacterium infections I was susceptible to, and they still don't know why, but I've luckily been very healthy for the past three years, but it could come back at any time. So I do a lot of exercises and cardio exercise to try and just keep my lungs as healthy as possible right now.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah,
2: I've actually never spoken about this before. It just like hasn't come up in detail. It's a really rare. Usually it's much more common in older women. So my doctors were all very surprised that somebody as young as myself developed this rare condition. It took about five years to get a diagnosis and I was actually enrolled in the undiagnosed disease program at the National Institutes of Health. So went through rigorous testing there and I finally was introduced to a doctor who's said, this is what's going on. We still don't know why. And they ended up taking blood from my entire family to try and trace a genetic component. And we still don't really have the answers as to why my lungs were susceptible to this condition and to these infections, but I'm healthy right now. They were able to treat it. I was on antibiotics for years, IV antibiotics for about six months and oral antibiotics for a couple of years after that. And now I was able to clear it all thanks to, you know, following everything that my doctor said. And now I have a great team of doctors at NYU and I still go down to NIH in Bethesda every year for like a checkup. And it's been a really interesting experience, especially as a former medical student and somebody in the healthcare field to be dealing with a chronic disease. And also a little, you know, it's hard as a dietitian having something that food doesn't really play such an essential role as I'm trying to maintain my health. It's very important when you're sick to make sure you're eating enough and getting enough protein. But other than that, it's been a really interesting journey. Being pregnant, I would
3: love to get more into the pregnancy tips. So let's start getting into what, as a food allergy pregnant person, what kind of accommodations, what kind of things did you change in your lifestyle to make sure that you were safe?
2: So I was very lucky as somebody living with food allergies. I grew up about 29 years. Into my life, never having, even though I was anaphylactic, always carried around my EpiPens, I had never had a really severe allergic reaction where, knock on wood, I had to use my EpiPen or go to the hospital over an exposure. So when I was pregnant, I really didn't change all that much. In the past two years, I've had a few scares, either at restaurants, which was totally new to me. As somebody who lived my entire life with food allergies, it was actually a little strange that all of a sudden in the past two or three years, I had had two really scary incidents in restaurants, especially. So when I was pregnant, I did become hyper aware of these, the risk, especially because I didn't want to be taking medication. I didn't want to have an emergency. So I did cook a lot more at home and I was extra careful about the foods that I was eating during pregnancy. And I think that's really the best you can do when you're pregnant and living with food allergies. It's hard and you don't want to totally overhaul your life, but you can- just be a little bit extra careful.
3: Right. So it's just kind
2: of being a little bit more avoidant of maybe going out to eat. Anything that could increase my risk. So whether it was a new food product in the home that maybe I hadn't tried before and I wasn't totally comfortable with or going out to eat where you're putting yourself at risk for especially cross-contamination, I was just a little bit more careful of.
0: What would happen if you did have a reaction, Dr. G? Like, can you take antihistamines? Can you use an epi? Pen when you're pregnant, and how would that affect the baby? Yeah, so antihistamines are totally safe during pregnancy. Actually, things like
3: Benadryl, Zyrtec, Allegra, all of those are safe during pregnancy, which is great even for seasonal allergies and things like that. And then, as far as epinephrine goes, if you have to use your EpiPen, you have to use it. So if you're having an anaphylactic reaction, the treatment for that anaphylactic reaction is the epinephrine. At the end of the day, we have to do what we have to do. And generally speaking, epinephrine doesn't lead to harmful effects on the fetus as far as we know, but there's obviously no controlled studies on this. But from what we understand and from pregnant women who have had to use their epinephrine, we haven't seen any signs that it's harmful to the growing baby. So, you know, at the end of the day, we want to do whatever we can to stop the reaction. Because if you can't breathe and if, you know, you go into anaphylaxis, that's more harmful for the baby, obviously.
0: Is this something that your doctor talked to you about, Chelsea, when you did get pregnant about anaphylaxis and potential harms? Thinking back, I probably should have. I remember asking
2: if Benadryl was safe to take because I had used it several times in the past year, especially with having recent exposures that I was concerned about. So I always carry Benadryl. So I remember asking about that. And I think I just assumed that epinephrine, if I really needed my EpiPen, there's no other choice. You have to use it. I didn't have a conversation with my doctor
0: about that, but I did about the antihistamines. Dr. G, what about asthma medication? Is that something you can still take? Absolutely. So in pregnancy with asthma,
3: the general rule is that a third of people, their allergies and asthma can get worse, meaning if they have allergies of their eyes and nose or if they have asthma, a third of people can get worse with their allergies. A third of people stay the same and a third of people actually get better with their allergies and asthma. And so we can't really predict which group you'll fall under, but it's really important to monitor, especially if you fall into that group that gets worse so I've definitely monitored a lot of pregnant women you know the main principle is again if you can't breathe your baby can't breathe so it's really important to take all of your controller medications and there's certain controller medications that are safer during pregnancy than others and obviously the doctor will know all of that and will make sure that you're on the right treatments and if we have to switch you over from one controller to the other controller because there's a little bit more safety information on one medication versus another we will do that. So it's really important that once you do get pregnant, that you do check in with your asthma doctor to make sure that if there are any changes that need to be made, that we make them. And also that you have frequent follow-up just to make sure that there aren't any signs that your asthma is getting worse.
0: One more question about medication. And then I promise we can get on to more like pregnancy and dietitian questions. But what about if you have eczema and you use a topical steroid? Topical steroids during pregnancy are totally safe. There's only a handful of
3: topical medications that aren't safe, like certain medications for acne. So you should always check with your doctor, but in general, um, the medications that we use for eczema are safe during pregnancy.
0: Okay. Because I had a girlfriend use hydrocortisone cream when she was pregnant and she was freaking out for a really long time that she was going to harm her baby because she she was like, oh my gosh, I put it on my fingers. (laughs) I was like, I think you should be fine. No, no, it's totally safe. It's totally safe. Okay. Thank you. I think we've gone through all of the atopic conditions and pregnancy medications. I'm not sure. Back to nutrition and pregnancy. So Dr. G, you're pregnant right now. And Chelsea, you were pregnant not so long ago. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did specifically to your diet? Did you change anything? Did you add anything? What are you guys doing to help maintain a healthy, balanced body?
2: As a registered dietitian and being pregnant, I really believe that you just have to still follow your innate hunger and fullness cues first and foremost. It can be really difficult, especially in the first trimester for a lot of women to get a, to eat a well-balanced diet, because they have um, a bit of nausea, perhaps vomiting. And I really just suggest that eat what you can and what you can tolerate, plus then cravings come into play. And it is important to try as you're able to eat a well-balanced diet. So eat those vegetables, fruit, whole grains, protein, enough healthy fats in a well-rounded manner, but really also try to eat what you can tolerate. Cause a lot of women put a lot of pressure on themselves when they're pregnant to eat a perfect diet for that baby. But really you need to eat what will stay down and what sounds good to you also. So that also needs to be an equal priority. And that's also why it's recommended that you supplement. We're supplementing with a prenatal vitamin is recommended for all pregnant women now, which I'm sure Dr. G can speak to a little bit more, to really cover the nutrients that are essential, like folate and iron, omega-3 fatty acids, because a lot of women can't tolerate fish during especially early pregnancy. And it does get easier for a lot of women as you go later on in your pregnancy to tolerate tolerate a bigger variety of food. So just give yourself also if you're early on in your pregnancy and feeling nauseous and feeling like you're only eating bagels or bread and cereal, give yourself a little bit of grace because I was doing that too. There were many like weeks on end where I only ate like bread and butter for breakfast because that's all I could tolerate. And your nutrition isn't about what you eat for one day or even a few weeks, even when you're pregnant. It's really, it's the bigger picture. So nice to hear. And I
3: think lots of pregnant women will appreciate that because you do, you put so much pressure on yourself because you feel like you're growing this baby and you need to make sure that that little munchkin is getting all the perfect right things. And literally the first, yeah, the first trimester, I really just craved carbohydrates and I couldn't help it. That's just what made me feel good. The only issue that I have is that I'm a vegetarian. So I don't eat any kind of chicken, any meat, any fish, I actually, ironically, I was pretty lactose intolerant and then during pregnancy, and I don't know if you can comment on this, but I felt like all of a sudden now I can tolerate dairy.
2: Have you ever seen that, Chelsea? I've heard that anecdotally. I don't know the research on that. I do think though, when you're pregnant, you are able to sometimes tolerate different foods a little bit just because your immune system is also down so that you can tolerate your pregnancy. And I think that it might play some role, but again, I don't know the exact research on that. I kind of developed lactose intolerance suddenly
3: after I went to India one year and that was about three or four years ago. So maybe it was just that maybe the enzyme was lost and then all of a sudden my body has a little bit more enzyme. And then I started craving dairy and I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see if I tolerate dairy. And I, I I did. So now I'm eating a lot of different dairy products. Can you actually
2: comment on yogurt? Is there less lactose in yogurt? Yes, a lot of times people... People who are lactose intolerant can even tolerate yogurt because there is less lactose in milk and ice cream and some other dairy products, but everybody is really different but yogurt typically is to- better tolerated which is great because it's also a great source of probiotic which is important to help keep your gut healthy and keep your immune system healthy so it's great if you can tolerate yogurt
0: Can you talk about s- supplements a little bit more and like for instance Dr. G is a vegetarian What does she have to watch out for certain things while pregnant? So a vegetarian diet while you're pregnant is perfectly healthy. A lot of people feel like if they're
2: following a vegetarian or even a vegan diet that they have to change that when they're pregnant and you absolutely do not. You can get enough and have a well-rounded diet while you're a vegetarian and pregnant. Every pregnant woman, the, I, don't, I think it's the American College of Obstetrics, they recommend that every pregnant woman take a prenatal vitamin, which just covers make sure that you're getting the nutrients that you need, especially the nutrients that you need in higher quantities when you're pregnant, like folic, folate, folic acid, which is really important for the baby's brain development. You need a bit more iron, calcium, so it's important that you're getting those nutrients and taking a prenatal, it's a bit more like a insurance policy that you're covering your bases, especially when you're pregnant. A vegetarian should be extra cautious, I would say, and just try and have a well-planned vegetarian diet to make sure that you are eating enough protein. But typically if you eat enough calories, you're getting enough protein. Yeah. I was surprised by a lot of foods because I
3: was starting to get stressed out by that. Actually, I felt like my husband was stressing me out about that. I was (laughs) surprised that bananas have protein, that there's just a lot of foods that you wouldn't necessarily think are protein foods, but actually a lot of foods just naturally have some amount of protein. So if you're eating to keep yourself full, you're generally okay. Exactly. Does a balanced diet look different at different stages of pregnancy?
2: Not necessarily. It is important at different stages of pregnancy to be eating enough. So different stages of pregnancy require different caloric amounts. We do increase your calories during your first trimester that you really don't have to change your diet calorically very much, but your hunger will also pick up during your second and third trimester as the baby is developing and growing. So I don't really like women to get too concerned with the exact caloric amount that they should be eating because I just think it causes a bit of anxiety and fear about reaching these numbers or not exceeding them. So again, if you really follow your hunger and fullness cues, which are important to get in touch with, whether you are pregnant or not, you will. And if you're eating a variety of foods, making sure that you have a source of protein at most meals. And like we discussed earlier, you don't. Necessarily have to have a formal piece of protein like chicken or fish or eggs on your plate. A lot of different foods have proteins like beans and quinoa and even some vegetables, like mushrooms, for example, have about three grams of protein per cup of sliced mushrooms. So you're getting protein from a lot of different foods. So as long as you have some foods with protein on your plate, which you likely are, um, having some whole grains, having a bunch of vegetables, you're probably eating a well balanced diet. If you're following then how hungry you are, you're probably eating. Eating enough.
0: I feel like there's so much pressure around women and around pregnancy about really, like we said, eating this perfect diet that it's nice to hear that there's so much more to food that we realize there is, I guess. I have a question about avoiding foods, and there's two parts to it. So, the first part would be there are foods that we hear pregnant women have to avoid, like fish and some cheese and some different types of deli meats. Can you go into that a little bit more? And then we can hit the second part afterwards? Absolutely.
2: So it's important that it's recommended that pregnant women avoid certain foods that you mentioned, like deli meats and raw fish and unpasteurized cheeses and dairy products, raw juice, which is also unpasteurized because of the risk of foodborne illness. So somebody who's not pregnant can typically tolerate if you get food poisoning, God, you know, God forbid, nobody wants to get food poisoning, but you could tolerate it a little bit better. But if somebody who's pregnant gets food poisoning, it could be a bit unsafe. For the baby, so it's recommended that we avoid some of these foods that increase your risk of food poisoning, like the deli meats, raw fish, and making sure that all of your food is cooked properly. That you follow good food hygiene when you are pregnant, especially. Also, you have to avoid alcohol. You should limit the amount of caffeine that you have. It's recommended that you limit caffeine to, I believe, it's two hundred milligrams a day. Um, it's typically like one to two cups of coffee is okay when you're pregnant, yeah, less than 200 milligrams per day is typically acceptable of caffeine. But you also have to remember that things like chocolate, tea, any soda, which is not recommended, but if you do drink soda, all have caffeine in them as well, just to be cautious of that.
0: The second part to this question would be, I have read and heard stories about women who have one child with food allergies and they avoid their child's food allergens while pregnant. Is this just an anecdotal thing? Is this a nervous thing? Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, I think that the
3: whole issue with that is that people or families just avoid foods that their children are allergic to just to be extra safe. And I think that's where that comes from. Maybe some people are avoiding it because they think then they might cause a food allergy in their child, but we have no data to show that, avoidance especially of foods is a good idea during pregnancy as far as allergy and the risk of allergy and the in the baby go so really and I'm sure Chelsea can speak to this too it's just having that full balanced normal diet that you're used to having and so for women that are avoiding like let's say their child has a peanut allergy and they're specifically avoiding peanut you know that can be a conversation not that peanuts are absolutely essential during pregnancy and that leads to so the second point, which is that, is it important to eat allergenic foods when you're pregnant? And the data is kind of mixed on that, but it does kind of a little bit go towards maybe eating allergenic foods is not a bad idea. So I can not say that, yes, you should definitely eat allergenic foods when you're pregnant, but we definitely can say you shouldn't avoid
0: them. I mean, first, the data is not fully there, but that it doesn't make sense to avoid something if you don't have to. And I think that's kind of a general rule of thumb. Of if you're not allergic to it, then don't.
2: It also goes to the point where um, we're seeing in a lot of studies that early introduction of allergens is also important to help reduce allergies. So I think we may not have the data fully flushed out for while you are pregnant and what that does if you're eating high allergen foods while you're pregnant, the outcome of an allergy in that child. But it goes to early introduction of highly allergic foods like eggs and peanuts and even tree nuts can reduce the incidence of allergies in that child, which is contrary to what we thought several years ago. So I think that's also important to note. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. It's the more we learn, the more we know
3: that avoidance is not good. And that, like you said, early introduction is safer and smarter for the baby. And so thinking about that in the pregnant woman, again, avoidance is not good. Well, how do you counsel? people on that? Do you do you try to get them to eat certain foods all the times? I mean, a lot of the allergenic foods are just healthy, like eggs and peanuts and tree nuts and milk. I think all of those things are just healthy for, and they have a lot of protein and they have a lot of benefit.
2: I really like to counsel pregnant women to continue their diet as is for the most part, you know, avoiding the foods that you need to be careful of and, you know, using good food hygiene. But really, if you're eating these foods on a regular basis, I don't really see a reason because the data is not, the research isn't there to support that you should avoid those foods during pregnancy. So if you eat peanut butter every day before you got pregnant, you can keep on doing that after. And I also though encourage variety when you're pregnant, the more variety you eat when you're pregnant, especially in terms of vegetables and fruit, there is some benefit to having all the different nutrients that you are consuming. And I think it sets a good precedent for once once you have your baby and if you are breastfeeding, eating a variety of foods also exposes your child to a variety of flavors, which can be good for your child's palate development.
0: Can we talk about breastfeeding? I know that's jumping. Is there a change in your diet for breastfeeding or do you continue eating as you have been? And also how does food allergy play into that?
2: Yeah. So when you are breastfeeding, you actually get to liberalize your diet once you have the baby. So you don't need to avoid raw fish, for example, or deli meats anymore. You really can liberalize your diet. There is a lot of myths out there. And I even thought that you had to avoid certain foods when you're breastfeeding for the baby to tolerate your breast milk. Well, like when I first delivered, I thought I had to avoid all cauliflower and broccoli because it was gonna make my baby really gassy. And that's really just not true. Certain babies do get fussy from the mother eating certain foods, but that's very specific and very individualized for each baby. So the more variety that you do eat in your diet, which can be hard as a new mom to eat a variety of food and, you know, prepared foods and prepare a well-balanced meals once you're home with a newborn. But it is important to eat a variety of foods, like I mentioned before, to expose your child also to a variety of flavors, because it's thought that if you eat a variety of vegetables, for example, that they might tolerate them better once they start eating solids. In terms of allergies, again, I don't think that the data is fully there that the mother should avoid any allergens during breastfeeding unless if it's for herself or for another child in the family out of safety concern. Exactly.
3: So the data doesn't show avoidance is good. And then the only caveat to all of this is that if your baby does have severe eczema and you do get the infant tested and evaluated and it looks like there are certain allergens, then obviously the mom does have to avoid those foods while breastfeeding. So if your baby's found to have an egg allergy, then the mom should, if they want to continue breastfeeding, then they should avoid egg in their diet completely so that it doesn't pass to the baby. And then that does tend to help with the eczema if it's food allergy induced eczema.
2: I should also speak to a milk protein intolerance, which is pretty common I would say or I don't know if it's pretty common but I personally my child had a milk protein intolerance and so I've had to avoid dairy foods while breastfeeding because it caused some blood in his stool so once I eliminated dairy from my diet he was able to tolerate breastfeeding a lot better and was a bit less fussy but that's typically outgrown also he once he was six months and we started to introduce some solids I introduced some yogurt and he fully tolerated that well so so that is something that can occur also. But again, a lot of things with food and breastfeeding are very individualized to what's going on with your child.
0: That also makes me feel a little bit more comfortable and less worried, I guess, because I have to avoid so many foods because of my food allergies. And I'm just always afraid that if I do ever have a child and if I become pregnant and I'm avoiding all of these foods, it could somehow impact them down the line. But I think that is something that people are concerned about who do have food allergies who are at the age of thinking about becoming pregnant is how would my diet impact my child later in life? Well, I think at the end of the day,
3: you have to stay safe again during pregnancy. So there's no way for you to introduce those foods that you're allergic to because you're allergic to them. So you can't have anxiety over missing those foods. And if you're healthy in general as a, as a person now, then you're going to be healthy in pregnancy too. And I want Chelsea to speak on that. Would it be a good idea to see a registered dietitian if you have multiple food allergies during pregnancy just to make sure that you are having a well-balanced diet? Or can you just assume that if the person was healthy before that they are healthy now?
2: I think it's always a good idea if you do have a bunch of dietary limitations to check in with a dietitian about every several years because our diets do change every few years and your needs may change as well. So if you're pregnant or let's say you start training for a marathon or you start changing anything about your life, it might be a good idea just to check in to make sure you're getting enough protein, enough micronutrients, the right vitamins and minerals. And especially when you're pregnant, it could be a good idea if you do have severe dietary limitations to check in. If you just have one or two allergies and you're only avoiding one or two foods, typically we can get those nutrients from other foods very easily. But if you do have a wide variety of allergies, it could be a better idea to make sure that you're covering your bases and really having a well-rounded diet.
3: What would you say is the one thing during pregnancy that can get women in trouble as far as their diet? The one thing that sometimes people don't get enough of that you would think that they
2: should? I would go with omega-3 fatty acids. A lot of people, whether it's due to nausea in their first trimester and they're avoiding fish if they were previously a fish eater or not tolerating even a supplement that well, because some supplements can be hard to tolerate when you're pregnant and swallowing pills can be difficult. I think that it's really important and there's a lot of research that shows the importance of eating and consuming omega-3 fatty acids during pregnancy. I actually wrote an entire blog post on it and there are even some tests where you can get your levels checked before and, and during pregnancy to make sure that you are getting enough. They're really important for the baby's brain development, for the moms, they help reduce inflammation. So it is really important to make sure that you're eating fish. And it is safe to eat fish several times a week when you are pregnant. It's perfectly safe. People are concerned about the mercury content in fish. There are plenty of low mercury fish options like salmon, a lot of the white fish, shrimp, those all are low in mercury, but do have great protein content and omega-3 fatty acids in them so that you're eating enough. But what about for someone like me who doesn't eat fish? Then if you don't eat fish there are vegetarian um, omega-3 options you know, flaxseed, chia seeds seaweed are all algae are all different ways to get plant-based forms of omega-3 fatty acids and there are plenty of vegan supplements on the market as well that aren't from a fish product that you you could then ask your OB if you should be supplementing with. Is
3: that the same thing as DHA? So if my prenatal
2: has additional DHA, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so there are three different types of omega-3 fatty acids. There's ALA, DHA, and EPA. It's really important that we're getting enough DHA and EPA while you are pregnant, although ALA are also important as well. So if you're prenatal, a lot of prenatals have enough DHA in
0: them, but some do not.
2: So just check the bottle to make
0: sure. How do you choose a good supplement? What would be your tip on how to choose the right one?
2: I always say ask your doctor. They, I, f- I find that a lot of OBs might have a preference and recommend one. And if you're working so closely with your OB or a dietitian during pregnancy, who really knows you, who knows your diet, a lot of the different supplements have a slightly different compositions. So it's just best to ask your OB. I'm sure they have some recommendations.
0: What about vitamin D in pregnancy? Yeah. So there's actually been a lot of people that have
3: looked into that. And right now there's no suggestion that supplementing the maternal diet with vitamin D is useful, especially not for preventing allergic disease in the baby in particular is what they were looking at. And so there's no data to show that there's any reason to supplement, but obviously if you're low on vitamin D, it's an important Element to have in your diet. So if there's any reason that you're low, it should definitely be supplemented, but you shouldn't overdo it because you think it's going to prevent allergies. It's not.
0: It just sounds like if people are worried or if they want to find a a special way to prevent allergies while pregnant, it just sounds like there isn't enough research to say you can do this one thing. And what I'm hearing is just a balanced diet is the way to go and not avoiding foods just because you think you should be.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we hadn't talked about this. Yet, but in general, the genetics of food allergy is that infants with a sibling or at least one biological parent who has allergic conditions, and those allergic conditions could be allergies of the nose, asthma, or eczema, they are at a little bit higher risk of developing food allergy, especially if they already exhibit allergic symptoms of eczema at birth or allergic rhinitis or asthma.
0: When you were deciding to have a child, Chelsea, did food allergy come up as a concern for you at all? I was more concerned about my child having
2: a food allergy of his or her own that they then have to navigate and the emotional and mental burden that that has more than me being concerned about my allergies, I think if that's what you were asking during pregnancy. It wasn't until I was really pregnant that I understood that allergy and allergic reactions can be more common or people can just develop allergies when they're pregnant because your immune system changes a bit. And I've heard from quite a few people that they then develop new allergies after getting pregnant. So I wasn't really as concerned about my allergic status versus having a child who then has to live with allergies and navigate that and what that would entail to be a food allergy mom. I ask my own mom all the time how she dealt with me growing up with having food allergies and it's hard for all those moms out there who are teaching their kids about what's safe and not and letting go of control when your child goes to school it it can be really tough so i was more nervous about navigating that as a mother than having allergies myself so your baby doesn't have any signs of eczema or atopy right now knock on wood my baby does not we did give my child peanut butter and my husband gave him peanut butter. I was far away. We've done it a few times. The research says to introduce those high allergy foods frequently and early. And we haven't been as good on the frequently because it's difficult with my allergies. And now my child's crawling everywhere. So it was a whole procedure of laying down trash bags everywhere and my husband giving a bath and doing all this to introduce peanuts to my child. We've d- sent him off to my parents a few times to for them to do it. But it's then, you know, I get nervous being around my son after he's eaten the peanuts, so we don't do it as often as we probably should, but he eats eggs all the time, and so far, he hasn't exhibited any signs of an allergic reaction, but every time we introduce a food, I get nervous, and we actually put a pause on introducing any new foods, because we still haven't introduced all of the top allergens during this coronavirus outbreak. We put a pause, because I don't want to have to rush to a doctor at all. We have Benadryl in the house, but we're not introducing anything new until the medical system has calmed down a little bit. Such an interesting point and so valid. And that makes complete sense.
3: There's no reason to add to the fear that's going on already right now by adding in foods that you're nervous about in your child's diet, at least not for the next like two to three months. Exactly.
0: And can we talk a little bit about your book before we go? So you have a book coming out. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
2: Yes, my debut cookbook, the 28-Day Pescatarian Meal Plan and Cookbook is coming out on April 14th. So I am so excited to share all of these recipes. The entire book is nut-free. My publisher was really great with working with me and making the book tree nut-free, peanut-free, sesame-free with my own allergies, which I think is really great. But it obviously does contain some other allergens like fish and eggs. That uh, there are tons of gluten free and wheat free recipes in the book as well, and it's a really a great collection of plant forward recipes. So not every recipe has fish. There's an entire chapter of vegetarian mains. There's a tons of sides and breakfast and dessert recipes as well in there, but it's really a plant forward way of eating to make sure that you're having that well-balanced diet that includes a bunch of nutrients. So I'm so excited for people to start cooking these recipes. They're some of my absolute
0: favorite recipes that I've ever developed. And it sounds like a really handy tool to have if omega threes are something that people need to focus on. Absolutely. Thank
3: you so much. That was so helpful, Chelsea. And we will definitely put up some of the blog posts and any other information we can kind of get together
0: regarding some of the things that we've talked about. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to that episode. Before you go, here's the bonus content on gestational diabetes and sugar intake during pregnancy. Okay, and
3: I have one more question. What about sugar in pregnancy and the risk of gestational diabetes? What would you say about that? Like early on before you get your glucose tolerance test, should women be worried? Because I'm worried. I'm just constantly worried that I do have gestational diabetes, but they don't test you until later. So it's just kind of confusing.
2: Of course, it's perfectly normal to be worried about gestational diabetes because every pregnant woman is tested and it's you I was nervous up until I got the results of my test as well. Plus a lot of women will also find that their sugar cravings increase during pregnancies. I know there are a lot of old wives' tales If that means you're having a boy or a girl, I forget. I didn't know what if my son was um, a boy or a girl before I delivered him. But if you're eating sugar in moderate amounts like you were before pregnancy, which is what I recommend, we don't wanna overdo it, but we also don't wanna restrict ourselves, then I think it's perfectly, you're probably having a perfectly well-balanced diet and including some treats, which you should. Pregnant or not, it's important to include those fun foods in your diet. When you are pregnant and you are having sugar cravings, you do want to be cognizant of what you're eating and the other foods that you're eating to make sure that really high-sugar, high-fat foods that are overly processed aren't replacing well-balanced meals, but having some sugar when you're pregnant is perfectly okay and, for most women, perfectly safe. If you are nervous, if you've had, let's say, gestational diabetes in the past, you might want to be a little bit more careful about it. And that's where working with a dietitian one-on-one could come into play. But I also want everybody to keep in mind that even if you are diagnosed with gestational diabetes, that doesn't mean that you need to cut out all carbohydrates from your diet. It still is important to have a well-rounded diet, including those whole grains and high fiber foods, which are always beneficial for any diet pregnant or not. So a diagnosis of diabetes or gestational diabetes does not mean that you have to eliminate all forms of carbohydrates or even sugar from your diet. You just have to be a bit more careful and that's where really working with a dietitian comes into play. Great. And now there's certain types of sugar
3: that are better. In my head I have it that like maple syrup and honey is totally okay and chocolate is totally okay because they're kind of more you know dark chocolate I should say better. So those are my those are my myths and (laughs) you can dispel them.
2: So you know dark chocolate does have more antioxidants than milk chocolate or white chocolate but if you you... To eat what you're actually craving. So if you crave milk chocolate, but you're forcing yourself to eat dark chocolate just for the antioxidants, you're not going to be satisfied and it's going to take a lot more to get to that point of satisfaction. So I would prefer somebody to eat what they're craving, what they're like, what will be satisfying to them because you'll often end up eating less that way. But in terms of sugar, I like to say sugar is sugar is sugar in your body. And you know this, it's broken down to glucose no matter what. If it's coming from maple syrup, honey or white sugar, it's all broken down to glucose in your body the one difference is there is a difference between natural sugars that are found in fruits for example versus added sugar which can be you know refined white sugar or it can be maple syrup or honey and I like to say you know don't limit the amount of fruit that you're having because you think that there is too much sugar in it it has tons of vitamins and minerals and fiber and other benefits for you to also have to eat it as a complete package great thank you that was really helpful
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.